Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Talks podcast. I'm your host, Ajay Karpur, and today's episode is a conversation between 1986 Flynn scholar Nathan Johnson and 1992 Flynn scholar Jake Batzel. A member of the inaugural class of 1986 Flynn Scholars, Nathan Johnson was elected to the Texas State Senate in November of 2018 to represent District 16, comprising all or portions of 10 cities in the northern part of Dallas County. He practices law at Thompson & Knight as counsel in the firm's trial practice group in Dallas. Nathan, who graduated from the University of Arizona with a degree in physics and earned a law degree from the University of Texas at Austin, also trained as a pianist and has composed music for the classical concert stage. During a hiatus from practicing law, he composed the score for nearly 70 television episodes and five films for the hit anime series Dragon Ball Z. Class of 1992 Flynn scholar Jake Batzel is an associate professor of journalism at Southern Methodist University. The author of Engaged Journalism, Connecting with Digitally Empowered News Audiences, he was a reporter for the Seattle Times and Dallas Morning News before joining SMU in 2008. Jake is a graduate of Arizona State University and earned a master's degree in government at the University of Texas at Austin. Here are Jake and Nathan. Hello and greetings from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I think this may be the first Flint talk ever recorded outside the great state of Arizona. Uh, but my name is Jake Batzel. I'm a Flynn Scholar from the class of 1992. I uh, grew up in Prescott, Arizona, and I'm here today with... And my name is Nathan Johnson. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and I was the original Flynn class in 1986. So, and uh, we're very excited to be here with you today to talk a little bit about our Flynn experiences uh, and how it shaped us into... Uh, who we are today and the doors that it opened for us. Um, I'm going to be assuming sort of the interviewer role here because I am uh, an associate professor of journalism at Southern Methodist University here in Dallas. I'm also the William O'Neill Chair in Business Journalism, uh, but I have a background uh, in, uh, in reporting, uh, reported for the Dallas Morning News and the Seattle Times, and um, I'm sitting here next to um, state senator for uh, Northern Dallas, uh, and Nathan is actually my state senator, uh, and I'm uh, curious to uh, talk to him a little bit about um, his path and how the, the, the Flynn helped make that happen as well. So um, so I'm really going to be kind of in interviewer mode here, but to quickly sum up my story, um, I grew up in Prescott, Arizona. I've always had a really strong interest in journalism. Uh, was the editor of my high school newspaper, the, the Badger at Prescott High, um, and uh, really knew I wanted to go into journalism. And so what the, the Flynn uh, really did for me was served as a catalyst uh, to really propel my college journalism experience. Um, the Flynn community uh, had a big part to do with that. Um, Chris Mays was the uh, editor-in-chief of the state press uh, and, and was a fellow Flynn scholar and also a classmate at Prescott High School. Um, and so I got involved with the state press right away. I wrote my first uh, story for the school newspaper before I even took my first class at ASU. Um, but the Flynn scholarship also in terms of mentorship opportunities um, introduced me to uh, some really valuable mentors at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism um, that uh, helped helped shape my career and, and um, actually had the chance, the immense privilege to meet Walter Cronkite and moderate a discussion with Flynn scholars 
um, uh, about journalism. And the other thing is with the study abroad uh, opportunities, I had the chance uh, through the Flynn uh, study abroad uh, support to intern for the Arizona Republic's Washington DC Bureau, and then also um, an internship in Zimbabwe for a newspaper in Zimbabwe. And all of those things um, really combined for uh, a very uh, focused experience on journalism in college. Uh, I'd like to think that the Flynn really helped serve as a rocket booster that accelerated my journalism career. I ended up going uh, to work as a reporter for the Seattle Times and Dallas Morning News, uh, and then uh, now am teaching uh, journalism at SMU. So my Flynn experience was a very uh, focused experience that was enhanced immeasurably by the Flynn scholarship. Um, but um, uh, what I wanted to talk with Nathan about... Well, I want to talk about you, though. <laughs> but, but in addition to the rocket boosters it gave you, you were yeah. a very intense, focused individual who knew what he wanted to do, and it gave you avenues. It gave you places where that intensity could be channeled uh, so that you were able to, to really take what you had to offer and grow it. Absolutely. In a way that you couldn't have otherwise. Yeah, yes. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that and... and um, in, in, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, the chance to, you know, to, to meet, not just with Walter Cronkite, but with um, other uh, figures and other disciplines, um, and to, to be part of that uh, Flynn community as well, uh, was just a, a really unique experience. Um, but um, Nathan's route was more... Um, circuitous? Uh, circuitous, is that a, a good way of putting it? Um, uh, a lot of more varied interests. Um, I've, uh, we've had a little bit of a chance to talk before this, and um, I know that you graduated from U of A uh, in physics, but you also have a background in music, um, and then went on to law school. You're a, law a lawyer now, and now serving uh, in the state senate. So can you talk a little bit about who you were in 1986? You heard about this Flynn Scholarship thing, and um, uh, you talk a little bit about your path and how it evolved. Well, we were both intense kids in high yeah. school, uh, which I think is, is common to every Flint scholar. And you were intensity with direction, and I was more of a scattered rays of intensity. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I took everything very seriously, um, but I was uh, unable and unwilling to really declare one thing, and, and that just wasn't how my head worked. My head was in lots of places. Uh, the Flynn gave me the opportunity, Flynn scholarship, the whole Flynn experience gave me the opportunity to, to pursue a lot of those things at a serious level simultaneously. Uh, which was helpful, um, but it, it wasn't always the, the easiest way to shape a life. Um, it's all worked out very well uh, at, at the moment, um, and I can trace back to those, Flynn, those years as a Flynn scholar and, and be grateful that it set me on this path, uh, but I wasn't quite sure what the path was at the time. So if, I think towards the end we'll have some advice and I'll say how not to do it like me, uh, although things have worked just fine. Um, I think you also asked about the, or who I was at the time. Yeah. Um, I was a kid with interest in science and music and latent interests in the way we organize ourselves as a society. And it took a number of years and a number of experiences, many of them through the Flynn Scholarship, to realize that my, my strongest passions were in how we organize ourselves as a society, mm -hmm. how we get along, how we create an environment in which human beings can flourish. Um, but all those other experiences, the music, athletic pursuits, art, science, those shape your head. And all those individual experiences carve little trenches in your brain so that later on, when you have to think in a different way, you can. Probably a 
wilder answer than we anticipated, yeah. but that, that I do feel like that has been uh, one of the greatest benefits of uh, my early educational years is the versatility in thinking and an appreciation for a broad way of th or array of people and experiences. All right, so take us back to 1986. Um, you get a letter in the mailbox saying you're a Flynn Scholar. Um, well, it, 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 or was it, it not? It, it was okay. weirder than that. Okay. Uh, I was applying to go off to college uh, elsewhere, and I got a letter uh, that um, said there's this thing called the Flint Scholarship, and it pays for all your college experience. And it was short, um, and it was a handwritten, and I thought it was a hoax. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. you're gonna pay. It pays for books, right? It pays your cost. Of, it was right, right. Too good to be true, and it was it was kind of late. Uh -huh. um, and I remember Barbara Barnes at the time told us about the, you know, working around the clock to try to get these out the door. It almost didn't happen that year. It, they barely got it out the door. Lucky for me and, and the other 19 of us, uh, they did get it out the door. Yeah. And, and I eventually learned it was not a hoax. Uh, and we took it seriously and applied and happily uh, became one of the first class. Yeah. And I still have some great friends who were also lucky, uh, lucky enough to have uh, received that letter. So then uh, it's 1990, you graduate from U of A with a degree in physics. Um, uh, you have aspects of your career also involving music and um, composing music for Dragon Ball Z, the animated program, um, a Japanese anime program. Uh, so tell us about a little how bit about that stuff. Happen? Yeah, how it all came yeah. together. Uh, well, I was a physics student um, and was fascinated with the field, but I felt that there were people who could do it better than I could. And I, and I had become very interested in the law. Uh, so I went off to law school. Uh, while I was in law school, I discovered that across the street was the music building. Uh, so I started studying with the piano performance faculty there. I had always composed very bad music. Uh, and I stopped composing to learn to become a better player so that my hands could do, uh, could express what my mind might be able to think up. Um, came out of law school a pretty good piano player um, and went to work and started writing music again, and it was still very bad. Um, I didn't have enough to do as a young lawyer, and I wasn't particularly enamored with the profession. I think that part of that is because I was kind of scatterbrained and not very focused. Mm. Uh, I, and honestly, I just, I don't think I had the um, professional maturity at the time to really focus on being a lawyer. And I was still distracted by music. Uh, I met an internationally acclaimed composer who lives in Richardson, Texas, which is part of the greater Dallas area, Robert Xavier Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, and unlike other people, he was the first person to tell me that my music was crap. Uh, but he was impressed that I could write it with no training. And he said, uh, you know, if you study, you might write something worthwhile someday. So you can study with me, and, but don't quit your day job. And so I didn't, and I worked as a lawyer, but it, I gradually got deeper and deeper into music, and I migrated out of law and into music, and I committed a number of years to trying to make it as a classical composer, uh, which was probably a miscalculation, uh, given the way the world works. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to make a living and get into commercial music, and that didn't work either, so I had set a clock, I quit, and I went to open up a law office on my own, and the company that owned the building that I wanted to lease owned the animation company that publishes Dragon Ball Z. Oh, wow. And in chit chat, it came up that I had written music. They went to my website. They listened to it. The next day, the producer called and said, we want to hire you. And I went to work and wrote Dragon Ball Z for a number of years uh, and some other things. Um, it eventually, um, that career path 
I wouldn't say it closed, uh, but due to economic forces, most of my clients ran out of money. Uh, and I was actually making a living finally as a composer at the time mm. and I had to choose between writing advertising music which I have never liked and still don't like and there are people who are good at it and love it and I thought why don't I let them write advertising music I don't know how to do one other thing and so I went back to being a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, and we opened up a two-person law firm and you know I had a wife who was a lawyer and three kids and it was a busy pretty good life going along um, and so that that's where I was for the last 10 years but still nagging at me was a political aspiration. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I admit it was an aspiration, not just an interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looked impossible. Um, and also I felt like I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't really know what I was doing or talking about in the political world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to reestablish myself professionally. And I wanted to know my city and I wanted to know the state that I lived in and how it works before I took poli- anything politically seriously. Mm-hmm. So over the past decade or so, I got involved in various public interest things uh, so that if the door should ever open, I'd be ready to kick it the rest of the way. I, I'm sorry, walk through it. Right, right. Yes. And you walked through that door uh, last year, uh, becoming elected to the state Senate, uh, the first Democrat elected to the seat in uh, more than 30 years uh, in the district representing uh, North Dallas. Um, so uh, when you think now uh, as a, a public servant and as uh, someone who's involved in, in public service and public life, um, when you think back to your college experience, your Flint experience, um, uh, what aspects, even though it was a while ago, um, informed your passion for public service and do you find yourself calling upon now? You know, um, there were a couple of things. Uh, one general and one specific. Mm-hmm. As a general matter, you're in an environment with a bunch of highly accomplished, highly motivated young people like yourself, and you kind of propel each other to go out and make use of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's lurking in the mind of anybody who runs for office, whether you like their politics or not. Most people are in there because they want to make use of what they have and bring it, bring some good to the world, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an expectation. You know, someone's paying for my college. Someone's sending me on trips. Someone's introducing me to important people. You feel an obligation to, to make good of it. And, and I think that has um, been at the back or the front of my mind my whole life. Um, specifically, there was a meeting, and uh, the, the politics of it is a little odd, but it was a meeting with Barry Goldwater, uh, the uh, legendary Arizona senator. Yes. Uh, king of conservatism. And he met with just 20 of us in a quiet little meeting, and it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And he explained to us something about what it means to be a conservative. Well, many years later, I was running for office in a seat that had been Republican for 30 years, uh, that everybody understood had more Republicans than Democrats, and no one thought I could win it because I would have to get Republicans to vote for a Democrat, which to me didn't sound all that hard. You know, given the political environment that I was facing, but what I did is I called on something Barry Goldwater said. I told ideologically mixed audiences that Barry Goldwater, and boy do I have their attention at that moment, mm-hmm. explained to me that a fundamental principle of being a conservative is looking back in time and seeing what worked and doing that. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's got to be a corollary to that. Look back in time and see what didn't work and stop doing it. Mm -hmm. So then I would look back at certain supposedly conservative principles that were failing, empirically failing, 
terribly, inexcusably failing. Let's stop doing what doesn't work and start doing what does work. That's a conservative way of thinking. And it was enough to get people's attention. And once you have their attention, you can sit there and talk as human beings, as people who are interested in fixing things. And once they begin to doubt what's happened in the past, their mind's open to what can happen now. It was an important, um, it was an important thing for me to be able to call upon, and it affected my thinking. Well, and, and uh, it was effective as well. I mean, I re remember reading the uh, profile of you in the Dallas Morning News, uh, where you were going around knocking door to door on uh, Republican voters, uh, you know, doors and, and, and making your case to them. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were able to convince enough bipartisan voters uh, to be elected to the seat. Um, so uh, that sounds, you know, it, it was fascinating to hear that, that uh, Barry Goldwater might have, you know, helped plant a seed for that as a Flynn scholar, um, you know, 30, 30 years ago. Um, so I guess to kind of um, sum up a little bit, so you've, again, um, background in science, background in music, um, the law, now politics, um, uh, like you said, a little more circuitous uh, and varied um, as opposed to uh, my own uh, path, which was uh, more specifically focused on journalism. But um, when you uh, think about advice to uh, people who might be considering a Flynn scholarship, uh, who have varied interests but maybe aren't completely certain of the path that they uh, eventually want to take, um, what would you tell your uh, younger self or someone like you who's, uh, who has varied interests but maybe aren't certain um, what the future holds and how it's going to unfold? I think that the Jake Batchel path is a very good one. <laughs> I, I think it's one to emulate. Uh, for, for those uh, who have difficulty with that, like I did, uh, it is okay to have varied interests and it, and it can work well for you, uh, but it can also derail you and, and make you unable to contribute. And there were passages in my life when I felt like I was derailed. Um, so I, I thought of it, I was trying to think of an analogy for this, and I think of it like uh, swimming. Even though I wasn't a swimmer, y'all can imagine being a swimmer in high school. And all through high school, and probably even college, you're swimming and there's lane lines. All you gotta do is go, 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 go. And you win a lot of the time, and it works. And you exit college, and the lane lines are removed. In fact, the whole pool is gone, and you're replaced with the ocean. You gotta look up every now and then and see where you're going. And I actually can think about some open water swims I did a couple times where I was swim, swim, swimming, and I, and I looked up and the whole field was somewhere else. I was going the wrong way. Mm. I don't want to let this analogy go too far, but I have to take one more. There was another open water and you're supposed to swim around a buoy. But there was a storm the night before and the buoy had become unmoored and floated out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the, the landscape changes on you. And it's important to keep your head down and be very intense, but you gotta look up every now and then and say, where exactly am I going? And swimming hard right now, where's it gonna take me? Uh, and, and what do I do when I get there? Am I just gonna keep swimming? No, go somewhere and do something, and do it well. But then again, look up and think, is this where I wanna be? Is this where I'm most useful? Don't be afraid to make the leap. And that's, that's where this diverse background can be helpful. If you're intense and sincere in all those different things you're doing, you have them available to you to call upon. You might call upon them professionally, or you might just call upon them personally, spiritually, in terms of, of how you feel about life, how you look at the world. And believe me, out there in the world it can be rough, and to have an anchor, even if it's just an avocation that you once were serious about, can stabilize you in life. 
So there's not a magical path. Uh, the important thing is that you, you be very uh, sincere about what you're doing, but honest with yourself, am I going the right way? And look up often enough to reset your, your bearings if you need to. Maybe you hit right on it, but if you haven't, it's very important. People have invested a lot in you and you've got a lot to offer. Figure out how you can take the pieces of your life and assemble them so that you can be effective. Terrific. Well, I think that's a great note to wrap up on. Um, thanks so much for tuning in to our Flynn Talk and uh, thanks forever uh, to the Flynn Foundation for, yes, uh, thank for you to the Flynn opening Foundation. doors for us and sending us on our respective paths, um, which are different, but uh, we benefited enormously from. So um, thanks very much and hope to see you all back in Arizona.